Hello, I'm Louise Makshari and welcome to Real Talk with Real Mums, an expert-advised and mum-approved podcast that looks at the issues of everyday pregnancy with healthcare professionals and the real women who have gone through the pregnancy journey. Get in touch and follow us on Twitter at Real Mums Podcast and listen on iTunes, Spotify and online at realtalkwithrealmums.ie. Today we're going to talk to three people who all have very different experiences of hospital life. Later on, Dr. Neve Murphy will be talking about pregnancy and labour from a personal and a professional perspective, and Dr. Mike Boyle will be chatting to us about life after birth. But first, I am with Rosemary Murphy, who is not a mum once, but ten times. Rosemary, people might know you because you were on the Rotunda TV programme when you were having your last baby, who is now six months old. She is indeed, yep, made is six months old. And we were delighted to be part of the Rotunda program. I think you were definitely one of the more memorable people to feature simply because you have done this so many times. We're not hard to forget. <laughs> <laughs> um, so tell me, you know, from, from the get-go for you with your first baby, did you have a plan going into labour? Presumably by the 10th time you kind of know what you're doing, but the My first, first time... My first baby, I didn't have a clue what a birth plan even was. I was very laid back about the whole thing. I felt a bit clueless, but... I just went with the flow. I said, what happens on the day happens and I'll go from there. So I went into labour a few days before my due date and all natural. Arrived at the hospital thinking, oh, I'm going to have my baby now. But nope, 26 hours later, she made her appearance. No epidural, nothing, just a little bit of gas and air at the end. Okay, so, you know, most people's birth plan would be a lot about that kind of thing those kind of decisions like you know do I want to have an epidural what kind of intervention well, do I, I want I was quite young so I just said I'd go whatever happens happens I just want my baby at the end but yes experience has taught me that pregnancy and birth is different every time and by my 10th baby I did have preferences in mind I don't like to say a plan because I don't think you can plan for birth it's the unknown really but I do have very standard birth preferences so what are your personal preferences so to avoid an epidural if possible to just go with how things are going on the day, to be supported to labour how I feel comfortable, to be involved in any decisions that may be made on the day. And yeah, to have skin to skin with the baby straight away after delivery, delayed core clamping, all very standard preferences. I've never had a written birth plan because I never felt the need for it, but I would have discussed all these preferences antenatally and with the midwife caring for me on the day. So for people who are listening who don't know what skin to skin is and don't know about cord clamping preferences, what are what are those things and why did you choose what you choose? Well, skin to skin means putting the baby on your chest as soon as possible after delivery. I suppose it helps with bonding and you want to see your baby. You've carried this baby for nine months. You want to meet them and have them in your arms and delayed cord clamping means that the blood from the placenta goes to the baby so it's beneficial in that way and it's for, it's standard nearly everywhere now I think so it's not something you really have to yeah. ask for but I do just make sure my midwife knows that this, these are things I want but if it's not possible then it's not possible. So I have to ask you with a 26 hour labour and no epidural um, how? Natural techniques, breathing, water, I use the bath a lot on the delivery suite and I just had to do this I wanted to meet this baby I was so excited I knew my body knew what to do has grown this baby for nine months and knows how to birth this baby just a lot of faith a lot of hope I suppose and have you had all all 10 of your babies in the hospital I've had nine of them in the rotunda and one in the coup and did you ever consider having a baby at home no 
it's not for me I think it's wonderful but I wouldn't relax at home and plus like I'd have all my other kids running around like do I go home behind the washing machine now and make a bit of dinner whereas I think when you're in the hospital you can kind of it's all about you and birthing the baby yeah there's nothing else that you're concerned when you know the medical professionals are there should you need their help so I put my trust in my body but also in the professionals looking after me that if something does go wrong they'll be there to step in whereas at home I'd be worried oh if something went wrong really quickly mm. I'd have to transfer I don't like to be moved in labour yeah. so if something was going wrong I think very much I wouldn't be comfortable getting into an ambulance or into the car to move into hospital so I'd yeah. rather just be here Yeah. but in saying that some people feel the opposite they prefer to be at home in their own environments Yeah. so I think it's very individual birth is so individual what mm. works for one won't work for another and it's all a bit of trial and error to see what, what you like because I don't like the epidural. Somebody else loves the epidural. I know, love just... the epidural. <laughs> <laughs> I love the gas in here though. If you've seen me on the rotunda, you'll know that the poor midwife trying to get it off me to push. I'm like, no, leave me with my gas in here and I'm happy enough. I think um, people who haven't had babies might be a bit confused about gas in air and what it is and how it works. Um, can you explain a little bit about that, how, how, it, how it affects you? So you breathe it in through a mouthpiece and it kind of makes you feel like you've had a few too many cocktails. You're For the first time in nine months, hopefully. Yes, exactly. So you're aware <laughs> of months. the pain, you're aware of what's going on, but it kind of takes the edge off it, so it makes it bearable for you. And I find switching positions as well with the gas in air, so being upright, being on the bed, whatever feels comfortable. I've delivered baby standing up, I've delivered leaning over the back of the bed, I've delivered on the bed. I've, I don't pre-plan it, it's just whatever is comfortable on the day I go with. Mm. I just listen to my body, I suppose. And when you have that kind of strategy of, of going with the flow, you have to obviously trust the people around you. Oh, absolutely. How have your relationships been with the, with the midwives and the doctors that you've encountered through your 10 deliveries? Oh, they've been absolutely incredible. I can't speak highly enough of them I do put my trust in them I see them as being my team we're all on the same team we all want the same outcome a happy healthy baby at the end and a happy mum as well because it's important that mum has a good experience too it's not just all about a healthy baby and it's very important to me to feel listened to both during the pregnancy during the birth to make sure my wishes are acknowledged and also that I'm involved in my decision making because I, I consider myself very well informed as most other mums are so we want to be involved in all the decisions going and we want to be treated with compassion and respect. That's what's really important to me when it comes to pregnancy and birth care. And you feel that you have had that experience? Yeah. Oh, absolutely, yeah. What advice would you give to someone who's brand new to all of this? Um, you know, because you obviously have developed that relationship, which is so special. But I mean, even for myself, when I was having my first son, um, I was, uh, you know, it was a different doctor I saw every time and I didn't always feel totally safe or comfortable depending on how busy it was or how quick the interaction was. What can what can pregnant people do to try and get the most out of those interactions in your experience? I just think be, be well informed, have your questions written down and just, yeah, just know you know what you want but keep an open mind that things may go differently because once you have that we can't control what will happen on the day but we can control our mindset how we react to things and it's just it's just trusting yourself your body and the medical professionals as well like that I had public care my first four and I seen someone different every time but it was just I had my questions ready I didn't have the same nice interaction that I do now when I have antenatal care but I still trusted them to know that if something was wrong it would be picked up and if all was going well all was going well and I'd have my baby at the end and that's what we want really isn't it do you think that's that's what causes problems for some people is that they have a kind of strict idea of exactly what they want well I think most people are reasonable in that they, 
they may have a plan but they may realize it will go differently i think if you have a very set plan in your mind and it does go differently that could lead to disappointment but i think most people are reasonable coming in and say okay this is what i would like but if this is what happens then so be it is there anything else you bring with you for that time just my ball I, I normally bring my phone have a bit of music on that and way too many clothes for the baby and not enough <laughs> for myself half the time I'm one of these people I'm very relaxed when it comes to the hospital bag list so I'm a bit of a last minute packer I should say something really sad so like oh I pack at 28 weeks I'm so organized not at all just go with the flow be laid back it will all work out if you come to the hospital with nothing all you need is yourself anyway mm. and uh, what if someone is listening to this and they think that's great but I'm not laid back and I I'm not a laid back person and I know myself I'm going to be really anxious and stressed would you have any words of advice for them have your birth plan if you feel you need to write it down write it down discuss it with your healthcare professionals beforehand but also what's wonderful actually during pregnancy itself is hypnobirthing it's just wonderful in terms of breathing visualizations affirmations and it can help you relax on the day as well and also I do pregnancy yoga and reflexology found those really good as well but in terms of the hypnobirthing one of the affirmations is, I can do anything for one minute. If you can think that in your head as you're having contractions, you can do it. You can get through this. That's what helps me through a lot. It's just have your plan in place, but just do keep in mind that it could change. Also, but I think... Talk, talk, talk as well. Well, I was just going to say, it is, it is, isn't it? It's about asking and expressing yourself within the, within the experience. Like, nobody's expecting you to be the perfect... Well, first of all, there is no perfect woman having a baby. No <laughs> it doesn't dying. exist. Yeah. So, you know, you're not going to be that because it just doesn't exist. But but also to ask for help if you feel like you need it or, you know, express oh, what you're yeah, feeling. Absolutely. Because presumably, as we say, like the midwives have been through it all. Or if you're quite anxious, exactly. Ask to speak to a midwife. Ask to speak to whoever you feel will help you. And other mums as well. But try not to compare yourself to somebody else. Two people are completely different. There's no two pregnancies and births alike. So keep that in mind. You're an individual. There is help out there if you need it and just keep positive because your body knows how to birth this baby. You've grown this baby for nine months. Your body knows what to do mm. and you will get there in the end. Um, just while I have you, I mean, I feel like I have to ask you, what is life like with 10 children in your house? It's busy. It's lots and lots of fun. It's never quiet. There's never a dull moment and we just love it. We just absolutely adore life with a big family and they're always asking for a new sibling. So it's something they're very used to. It's not something that's a big change for them which is wonderful, I think, really. And they're well known here in the Rotunda as well. <laughs> Do you have an idea in mind of like how many you'd like to have or? No, we just take one baby at a time. I'm not willing to put a number on it for anyone. I think definitely one more, but I'm open if there's more after that. So be it. if there's not, I've been very lucky already with what I have. So logistically, how do you travel? We have a minibus. I actually don't drive at all, so I walk everywhere. So you'll see me going with my double buggy have my baby in the sling, a few kids along the side, and it's brilliant. We get lots of looks, lots of positive comments as well, it has to be said. Hmm. Well, at the end of the day, as has come up repeatedly in our conversation, everyone is different. Everyone has different experiences. Everyone has different desires when it comes to their family. And this obviously exactly. works for you. You're so at peace with it. It's really lovely to see. Like personally, I, I'm like, I'm having a second child and I'm terrified of how I'm going to make that work. But but clearly this is just absolutely well, right for you. Change. Going from no children to one and then one to two are the biggest jumps after that. Like after you have four. Four to ten is no different for me, to be honest. Like I just, you just do it. And what you realize as you have more children is that you will always make it work. Everything is just a phase. Nothing will last forever. So if you have a tough day, it's just one tough day. Next tomorrow will be different. And if it's not, 
the next day will be different so I yeah. just take things as they come the same approach to birth as the parenting it's all a bit trial and error none of us really know what we're doing we just wing it and what works works and what doesn't then we don't do we try something else Rosemary I think you are fantastic thank you so much for sharing your experience with us now joining me is Dr. Neve Murphy, who is a specialist registrar in OBS and Gynae in the Rotunda Hospital in Dublin. But today we're talking to her in her capacity as a mum of two. So Neve, how was your experience of having your children? I had a great experience. I had two lovely pregnancies, which were really, really straightforward. Um, my little girl was born in November 2015. And she did cause a little bit of drama by deciding she had to have an emergency section to be delivered. Um, but that was all fine. And then her brother arrived um, in February last year and he's going to be one on Friday. Okay, so new. Very new. You said you had really good straightforward pregnancies. Um, so what, what does that mean? Sickness, tiredness? So, so I suppose I, I was never sick. Um, I was tired actually and I think that's really normal mm. um, I think especially for the first 12 weeks people say you've kind of feel like you've been hit by a bus you kind of arrive home from work and lie on the couch at six o'clock exhausted and I definitely had that at the at the start I think with your first baby that's fine because you just kind of lie there and have things brought to you and you just get served and on your second it's totally different I heard you, someone saying your first pregnancy is a princess pregnancy and I was like that is so accurate yeah because yeah, there your second one you. Yeah. you have to look after people yes Small it's so cruel who likes jumping up on top of you um but uh yeah apart from tiredness overall they were they were great I was never sick um I never really had kind of any issues up until the time that the first decided she needed a section apart from that it was all very textbook what happened that uh, that she needed the section so just very early on in the labor um she decided she wasn't tolerating the labor very well um so that's what we'd call fetal distress so um that means that she wouldn't have tolerated the rest of the labor so the decision was made to have a section at that point so better out than in so you obviously are coming at that experience from a very a unique perspective because you have a professional knowledge which means that you understand why certain decisions are made or what certain signals mean but you are still a mother in that situation having your first baby so were you able to kind of be rational about it or were you emotional about it how did it feel um I think I was still quite rational about it I tend to be kind of balanced about things anyway and I remember as um, I was being wheeled into theatre for the section asking my husband I was like are you okay are you okay and he was like yeah are you okay and I was like yeah I'm fine because I think once you especially when you work here you kind of realise you know all the staff members and I understood what was going to happen and knew the steps involved and I think the main thing is that I knew I'd get great care mm. which I think everybody does coming here um, but especially when I knew the specific team members involved that was really nice mm. what would you say to someone who's listening who's thinking well what happens if I have to have an emergency section or someone who's nervous about that what yeah. advice would you give them so I think the main thing a lot of the time when people aren't familiar with the setup is it can look a bit intimidating going into an operating theatre because you might be familiar with seeing them on TV and that kind of thing and it's often a bit dramatic uh, when people are brought in um, on the television in reality uh, while it looks like there's a lot of running around, there's a lot of people coming, um, especially if it's an emergency section. So you have the midwives looking after you, you have the obstetricians, you have the paediatricians who are the baby doctors, you have the anaesthetists who will be helping with your pain relief. Um, so that's all very busy because there's a lot of people coming in to talk to you. 
um, and maybe that can be a little bit overwhelming but it's just really important to remember that for everybody here you know this is their job and it's very very routine for them and while it might look a bit chaotic in a way because there's so many people coming and going in reality everyone that you see is very calm and is very prepared so I think that's the main advice I give people if they're worried about having a section is that everyone involved with it is very used to the scenario and while it's very new for you it might be daunting for you they all know exactly what they're doing and where they're meant to be going and that overall you'd be in very safe hands. And so uh, now you obviously have general knowledge about these things but for you as a mother you're you're have you're lying there yeah. you are having your baby and they don't they put they put kind of like a curtain type thing up in front of you yeah. so that you don't have to watch yourself being cut open. So I think the real reason for that is more to keep the whole area very sterile. Oh, so really? I always then, assumed it was like... There's probably a bit of both. Yeah. There's probably <laughs> a bit of both. Um, but because you're awake for the procedure, for, for the majority of sections, most people are, are awake um, and, it's, and there's a partner in the room. So most of the time the dads are brought in as well. And they kind of sit up the top And they sit up you, at the right? top yeah. end next to you. So I think... So, so that they don't have to see them. <laughs> exactly. So the screen is there for two reasons, really. Yeah. So as you said, one is definitely so you don't have to see it because obviously not everyone would be very happy with the sight of them having a cut made in their tummy and a baby left out of it. It might look a bit daunting. And certainly... Do some people want to see it? I feel like I might want to. Some people want to see it. Yeah. yeah. And then occasionally we might bring the screen down. Um, and just advise them to not bring their their hands into the sterile field. Right. So that's the other reason why the why the drape is put up to yeah. discourage or not um, let people be able to kind of uh, interfere. The field. Yeah, because yeah, obviously it all has to be very clean. So that's the that's the other reason why it's there. But yes, yeah, mm. some people do want to look. Yeah. Mm. And did did you have any inclination to look? I didn't. And do you know what? I don't think it crossed my mind at the time. Yeah. Um, I suppose there's yeah. a lot going on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> didn't even cross my mind. Um, and how did you find it? How did it feel to kind of be in that position as a as a mother as opposed to as a professional and kind of with your with your partner beside you? Yeah. So I remember going in thinking that, you know, oh, I know exactly what's going on. This is all very routine. And, you know, sure, the baby will be here in a minute. And I was kind of very factual. And then the minute that the baby, both babies were born, um, you just become an emotional mess, like like everybody else, and that's probably really nice. You just kind of, it's like a sense of relief that everything has gone okay and that the baby's here and that everything's fine. Um, so the two positions are, are kind of there at the same time, I suppose. That it's funny, isn't it? There's a lot of that in pregnancy because you you almost don't even. Well, I think some people obviously are very aware of their fears and anxieties, but I think for a lot of people, you're not aware of them until all of a sudden you have the relief. Like for me, when I went for my you know anatomy scan and uh, you know any scan actually that I have I always feel oh okay like that's good it's good to check in and I didn't even realize I was worried until I feel the relief absolutely yeah, yeah. no it's uh it's nice just to know everything everything's gone well and everything everything's looking good so then if you like so when you're in that situation and you're having a section so the 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 baby comes out yes and then what happens immediately then after that so it depends on um, a couple of things. So um, if the baby's okay and mum is okay, most of the time um, the midwife or the doctor who's, who's helped deliver the baby will show you the baby straight yeah. away. So And especially if you don't know what, you, what you're having, that's really nice then because you can have a look and see yourself. Um, and normally um, in an emergency section anyway, the baby doctors are present. Um, so usually the baby's brought just to... Um, just sort of like a little a little table, little area just behind you where they're just checked out and dried off a little bit. And obviously, if there's been some concerns over 
the well-being of the baby during the labor and that's why the section was done the baby doctors would just make sure that you know they're happy with the baby's breathing and the heart rate and all of that kind of thing and provided they're happy with the baby or the midwife that's there is happy with the baby the baby's generally brought back to mum and dad and the mums can still have skin to skin and yeah. and do all of that which I think is really important and did you um, get to for people I didn't with my first baby yeah. um and I did with my second yeah. so that was nice yeah so what happened with your first baby because obviously he he was she she yeah. sorry because she was um in distress yes she so, needed a little bit longer with the doctors so she needed a bit longer and she actually needed to go to the intensive care unit here in the hospital um, where she ended up staying for the best part of two weeks. Right. Um, so, uh, so I saw her very briefly, and then she was then she was brought up to the to the intensive care unit after that. How was that? Um, that was hard because I think you always expect to have your baby next to you um, after you go go into labour and you you arrive into the hospital. You presume that you'll be spending the night with your baby, and it was hard. But I suppose I was also able to realise that she was in the best place and getting the best care, and it was better, obviously, that she had been delivered when she was, um, because she's fine now and is the boss of the house. Um, but obviously, um, if she hadn't been, things mightn't have turned out as well as they did. So yeah. you just kind of try to be a little bit pragmatic about it. But it's still very hard, and it's certainly definitely given me an empathy for women who I look after now whose babies have gone to intensive care um, it is very hard and you do feel it's very difficult being in the hospital when your baby's not next to you and you know they're a floor below you or above you um, so I've certainly gained some insight into what some of the mums we look after go through. Yeah I had a, a similar experience I didn't have a, a cesarean but my son was it was a long long induction and by the time he was born he needed to go and be in the neonatal unit for a while they worked on him in the room for a while and then they took him off um, and I at the time was so high on hormones that I was like it's fine everything's fine it's gonna be fine but my husband was really upset and then a few hours later I was like and I woke up in my I kind of had like an hour of sleep and I woke up in the ward and I just realized I don't even know I don't know where he is in the hospital I don't know what he looks like and those were the two things for me that were the most distressing. I've had my baby. My baby's not in me anymore. I don't actually know where he is. I had an epidural, so I can't get up and go anywhere. I need someone to come and help me do that. And I don't know what he looks like. You feel like you wouldn't be able to pick him out of a lineup. No, that hard. was, yeah, yeah, I found that so yeah. hard. Yeah, yeah. I remember going to see the intensive care unit the next day. And my husband had been there the night before, um, but obviously I hadn't. And he was able to tell me where she was in the room. And he was like, oh, she's over there. And I was like, are you sure it's yeah. her? And I remember thinking, God, it's a bit unfair that he knows where she is. And I don't because he's been here. And uh, I wasn't 100% convinced it was her until uh, I saw the name tag. I was like, oh, yeah, no, that does look like our name. That is probably her. Yeah. Um, so, it's, yeah. it's a funny experience. Mm. It's not what you picture, I suppose. No, it's not what you imagine at all. Yeah. Um, but I suppose it's important, I think, as well for for anyone listening to know that you know, a lot of babies go to the intensive care unit who, you know, are, are full term and everything is fine and just something unexpected happens at the end. Um, and, the you know, the vast majority of those babies are, are going to be absolutely fine and they're getting really good care where they are. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that kind of can reassure you if you're in that position that, you know, well, it'll be fine in a few weeks time when we're at home and all this will seem like a bad memory that yeah. the baby's getting the best care at the time is probably yeah. the, the, the main thing but it is hard that doesn't make it any harder when you're going through it yeah I remember my husband was really upset as I said I think I think for him we'd had as I said a really long induction he was exhausted um and hadn't slept and um 
had had this picture in his head of what it was going to be like and he was going to have skin to skin with our baby and you know and then obviously none of that happened so he was upset but he went immediately up to the unit and saw Sam my son and uh he came back down high on life he was like he's great he's fine everything's fine I've seen him like he's grand and and I think once you see them in situ and you realize that yeah they are just getting this really special care it has to be said really attentive one-to-one care it's kind of hard to you kind of can well I found I was at ease with it pretty quickly because I felt like okay well if this is what he needs this is what he needs the right place Yeah. yeah so when did you get to hold her um not till she was around 48 hours old I think right yeah, yeah. kind of day two um so they had her in the incubator um and then yeah yeah at around day two it so, was the same for me yeah. how, how did that feel for you great it's lovely yeah. isn't it but you kind of feel before then you can kind of touch them kind of just through it um but it's very hard leaving isn't it when you're when you're in a different room in the hospital and you're you know there in the ICU and you have to kind of leave them it feels desperate to just be leaving them there even though you know they're having great care um but yeah I remember the first time I got older I I was surprised at how heavy she was even though I had known her weight and I obviously know what babies feel like but when it's your own baby you kind of think god she's actually quite solid <laughs> she's really here in this world <laughs> yeah yeah maybe that's it it was more the reality of actually holding her yeah 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 yeah, and um, did you breastfeed? I did. Yeah. Um, I breastfed both of them. Um, and that was something that I think people were, I think when you have an emergency section as well, especially people think, oh, you won't be able to breastfeed after yeah. that. And especially when the baby is in ICU, you won't be able to yeah. breastfeed. But I was able to. Um, I was able to express for her at the start. And the midwives in the hospital here were great at, at helping me to do that. Um, and then we were really, really lucky um, that she was able to latch on very quickly as well um, after I got to hold her because I know that's often a problem with with some babies that, that the latch is often often the issue. But yeah, yeah we struggled with great. that. Yeah, that's the most common thing I think that that people struggle with. It's it's just luck I think sometimes and yeah. knowing the baby sometimes just is able to do it straight away and sometimes it's trickier yeah did you get help with it yes I got loads of help um like I was helped by I feel like about 20 different people in the hospital and then also public health nurse and um I got loads of help it never went the way that I wanted it to go but I'm much more relaxed about it in my approach this pregnancy but I'll never forget and you've obviously done this too being up in the middle of the night in the hospital with they give you a little plastic syringe basically and you are essentially milking yourself and you've only got the teeniest tiniest bit at the first so you're like if you get half a milliliter you're delighted yeah so you're milking yourself and squeezing up every little droplet with the syringe going what is my life like, I know how did it's this surreal. happen yeah. and then running up to the unit to give them the milk so that they with can your, with your little sticker your on little it sticker, so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So it's identifiable it's it's it, that's something that I was not prepared for nobody tells you that no yeah that's why yeah. I mention it yeah yeah <laughs> good good to say <laughs> um so then with your second delivery um you were able to be with him yes. straight away yes so he was born as I said he's one on Friday so just uh, under a year ago and um, he the plan with him was if I had gone into labor I was going to see how it went but then um, he actually his growth slowed down between coming up towards the the end of the pregnancy so he hadn't really put on weight um, in a kind of a two-week period and if I hadn't gone into labour, the plan was that I'd have an elective section. So we just brought that forward a little bit just because there was concerns over his over his size. Yeah. So, um, so that was a very different experience then. It was much, 
very very calm kind of walking in store of the hospital no big dramas and uh, he was born later that day yeah and I suppose the thing is for people to know who are listening that like no two births are the same and these kind of things that happen where you know they're looking at the growth and they're going mm, it's not ideal let's get him out of there or for me you know his his heart is slowed down or there's a little bit of this or there's a little bit of that or you know it's 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 normal kind of isn't it really and not to get overly freaked out about these things because the actions that are being taken are to make sure that it's the safest thing possible absolutely and I think people often have a very set idea of the things they would like to happen in their labor and their delivery and I think it's a really good idea if people do look into the things that they that they would like and you know ideally if that all happens then that's fantastic um but I think it's also really important to go in with an open mind that the things that you imagine happening, you know, going in, having your very straightforward delivery with, you know, maybe no stitches and you and baby head off to the ward together and you walk up the stairs afterwards. Um, not to be disappointed if that doesn't happen. Yeah. Because I think the most important thing at the end of the day is that the mum and baby are okay. And while it's an added bonus if everyone has what they perceive as their perfect birth experience, and that is going to be different for everyone, mm-hmm. um, I would think the main thing is when you start out in early pregnancy and if you're planning a baby or if it's an unexpected surprise but you're very happy with it um I think most people if you were to ask them then what would you like out of this most people would say I want a healthy baby and a healthy mum yeah and I think it's important to just just remember that if anyone's ever disappointed we often see people who for example are determined that they won't have say an epidural Mm. and then they're almost disappointed when they do Mm. and you know that's that's a desperate pity to to feel that I think because you've just done an amazing thing and grown a baby and had a baby you should just be so proud of everything you've done rather than feeling any sense of of you know not achieving and it is hard I think when you go home with a new baby and I think no matter what kind of experience you have whether you're you know whether you've had younger siblings whether you're a doctor whether you're a midwife whether you know you work anywhere it's still hard going home with a new baby for the first time and realizing oh I'm responsible for this small person now and uh, things happen that you don't expect I think often your mum or your sister or somebody who you're very close to who's had babies is a great support or a friend anyone it doesn't really matter I think as long as there's someone you can pick up the phone to yeah and ask is this normal should I be doing this differently before I let you go I have to take advantage of the fact that you are a doctor and you're an expert <laughs> in this area so if people are listening what would be the biggest uh, you think the most valuable piece of advice having been through it as a mother and then obviously being on the other side of it as well to someone who's maybe feeling a little bit anxious about coming to hospital about the whole experience I think while it's it's a huge day in in someone's life and um, coming in to have a baby I think it's really good to remember that for the people working here while we are thrilled for you and your partner and you know every baby that we deliver is very special and um, I think it's it's really nice to remember that for everyone coming here this is what we expect to happen every day we expect to be delivering babies and we're very very used to delivering babies and to doing it very safely in a way that will mind mum and baby the best. So while you definitely have a lot of concerns and um, probably a lot of uh, worries about what might happen, I think it's really important to remember the people looking after you are professionals. It's their job to mind women and babies every day of the week and that you're in really, really safe hands. I think that applies to, to you know all the maternity hospitals in general. 
um, but obviously especially here in the Rotunda <laughs> but um, I think no matter where you go to have your baby that the staff looking after you really know what they're doing and yes. also I would think that like there are there's very it's highly unlikely that there's going to be a new scenario absolutely anything that has happened it's almost definitely something that has been seen before and that the team looking after you have have handled before definitely yeah. thank you so much Neve Murphy I might see you next time I'm in hospital if I should be so lucky now Dr Mike Boyle is a consultant neonatologist in the Rotunda Hospital Neonatologists are the people who look after the most vulnerable babies after they're born. Mike, for any parents out there who are completely new to the baby world, what is a neonatal intensive care unit? So a neonatal intensive care unit, we, we generally refer to it as a NICU, um, but they are an intensive care for babies. And that can be from very preterm babies from 23 weeks right up to babies who are born at full term. And we look after them very much the same way as an adult would be looked after in intensive care. So we can provide breathing support, support for um, uh, getting them st- established on, on feeding. So we might give them um, their feed through a drip. Um, we can look after them if they've got conditions with their heart or if their um, abdominal contents or their, their guts are outside of their, their tummy walls. What would be some of the most common reasons a baby is taken to the NICU? So for a term baby or around term, so anything kind of around 36 up to full term, the commonest reason a child will come into the neonatal unit is they might have a little bit of breathing problems at the start, just transitioning to uh, breathing in the outside world. So they may need to come just for a little observation for 24 hours or so, or they may need some help with their breathing. Another reason that they might come to the unit is if they have jaundice that is requiring uh, light therapy. So we um, put them under blue light and that helps break down the jaundice so that they can pee out those pigments um, and then we get them back to mum as quickly as possible. If a baby is taken to the NICU, would there be any changes to mum's care? No, everything stays pretty much the same depending on the on the reason for admission. Um, we don't have a bed beside the incubator for mum to be on, so they can't be in the unit 24-7. But it is very much a 24-7 open access for, for parents. So um, if mum is well and she is mobile, um, she can come straight up to the unit and they can spend as much time with baby as they want to. Um, and we just ask them to step outside when we're doing ward rounds when we're talking about other babies but the care stays exactly the same what if something unexpected happens or if there's a change of plan and baby is sent to the NICU is there anything you'd like parents to know I suppose it it is unexpected happily it is the minority of of patients so there are almost 9,000 deliveries a year in the rotunda and nowhere close to that will come through our intensive care so it is something that wouldn't be expected as you said as a parent that has to be an extremely stressful situation and what i would recommend is just making sure that you ask questions lots of questions we don't mind answering them whatsoever Um, and to be open to the fact that the plan will change and we have to react to how the baby is responding to treatment and sometimes they respond much quicker than we thought and they get back to their parents much quicker and sometimes it takes a little bit longer and we're certainly not in the business of keeping a baby from their parents but we have to make sure that they're safe before they can be discharged and 
unfortunately we can't predict how long they will be in for so the plan may have to change and to be open to a change in the plan I guess is probably the best advice I would give and if a baby is in the NICU is there a way for mom to still breastfeed or for the baby to still be given breast milk oh absolutely um we strongly encourage all of our mums who who can to breastfeed and to express it's certainly the best start for a baby that we can give if mums are able to do that um we would encourage um expressing at the cot side it's much better when you can look at your baby and you can see your baby when you're expressing um so we would make sure that that's discussed with them on admission and we're also very fortunate that we have a lactation specialist midwife who works with us in the neonatal unit who is extremely helpful for mums who are in that stressful situation and she provides a lot of support and advice if a baby has been delivered prematurely and mum's milk has maybe not come in yet, is there an alternative way for the baby to get breast milk? Uh, if mum hasn't got enough of her own milk, especially to start, we can use donor breast milk. And that comes from a breast milk bank. Um, the only one on the island of Ireland at the moment is in Enniskillen. And that provides breast milk for any of the units that have babies who may need it. Um, but the milk is pasteurised, so it's not quite like for like it's not the same as if it was mum's milk um, and it's a very nice way to start them on feeding um, but we would use it pretty much as a transitionary support until mum's milk is sufficient um, and if mum's milk isn't sufficient we would use it for a period of time until we see the baby is feeding well um, but it isn't a case that another woman beside you on the postnatal ward might pump and you might take her milk it doesn't quite work as uh, as simply as that and Mike for any mums out there who might be interested in donating some milk who should they talk to um so what we would recommend doing is talking to the lactation consultants on the postnatal wards they can give advice about that um and they can put you in touch with the breast milk bank um in Enniskillen we're very fortunate the blood bikers um they courier the milk around for us so they will go to Enniskillen and get the breast milk and bring it down to us for our tiny babies um, and I'm pretty certain that they might be able to provide a similar service of bringing milk up to be pasteurized and stored in the breast bank there. You mentioned the blood bikers there Mike, can anyone donate blood to the NICU? Um, so anybody who can donate blood I would suggest that they do so to make contact with your local donation service and then they'll go through a screening process we actually use an awful lot of blood in the newborn. Um, as you can imagine, uh, for a very preterm infant, um, they have a lot of blood tests and the amount of blood that we take is quite small, but proportionally to the amount of blood that they have, it, it does mean that they might need more blood. Um, so they will need transfusions. The people that, trans that we use for neonatal blood transfusions are a kind of a super selected group that um, have a very low risk profile um, and they're generally frequent donors. Um, but all of the blood that's donated is checked for the typical diseases um, and it is uh, irradiated and they make sure that there's no um, viruses like um, cytomegalovirus. But certainly anybody who thinks about donating, um, we, would, we would be very grateful as we do use quite a lot of blood compared to maybe other intensive cares given the patients that we deal with.
As I'm sure you're aware, Mike, vaccinations have been quite a topical subject of late. What vaccinations does a newborn need to get and when do they need to get them? The first vaccinations that babies in Ireland will get is at two months. So the, there are a couple of jabs. There's one called the 6-in-1, which has pertussis, tetanus, polio, haemophilus influenza, uh, hepatitis B and whooping cough. Um, and then there's another vaccine, the pneumococcal vaccine and um, the meningitis B and rotavirus vaccines. And then similar profile at four months and at six months. And for anyone out there that is unsure about vaccines, as a neonatologist, what would be your best advice to them? Um, it's something that we come across uh, a lot and it upsets me hugely because there's a lot of misinformation out there around vaccinations. Um, we would strongly encourage everyone to have um, to vaccinate their children if they can. And certainly um, I would have no issue vaccinating my child. We're not, there's no vested interest for me to do it. Um, we don't get paid to say this or anything like that. It is very much in the best interest of, of the child. And it's not just, you know, your own child. It protects those children who have um, vulnerable immune systems who can't get vaccinated. So it's a, there's a double incentive to do it, you know, for your own kid and to protect those who just can't get vaccinated for medical reasons. And just one last question about vaccines. Can you travel on planes if the baby isn't vaccinated? Yeah, you can. Um, so as we said, the first vaccines are going to be at two months. Um, and if you need to travel as an emergency before that, that isn't a, a problem. It's not a reason as to not to fly. We would generally advise parents, if possible, that they could wait until at least after the first set of vaccines before they fly. Ultimately, the main things that you might get exposed to on a plane are going to be viral infections like coughs and colds and things like that. And the problem on a plane is that it's a very confined space and so it's a, the babies are at risk for that. And maybe the bigger they are and the more robust they are, the less likely that would be an issue for them. So we try and advise them to wait a little bit longer. Lastly, Mike, is there anything you would like to say to parents out there that may have a baby in the NICU currently? So I suppose it is a hugely stressful experience for, for a parent to have a new baby and the baby be brought to an intensive care. What I'd like people to know is that we um, are very mindful of that. We understand how stressful that is and we would strongly encourage people to ask as many questions as they have and even to write things down. Often you forget things when the doctors are going by and after they've left, oh, sugar, I should have asked that question. And if you, we need to be called back, that's not a problem. We understand and we're, we're our best efforts are there for, for their babies and we're all kind of on the same team um, and we're more than happy to go through everything with them. Dr. Mike Boyle, thank you so much for joining us today and thank you everybody for listening. We hope you enjoyed this expert advised and mum approved podcast. Chat to us on Twitter at Real Mums Podcast or visit online at realtalkwithrealmums.ie. I'm Louise McSharry and this has been Real Talk with Real Mums.